This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. I think if you think about industries in 2021, there's been none that are hotter than the semiconductor industry. It is a fascinating time to be talking about this topic. We don't know a lot about it, but the great thing about uh, this podcast is we can get experts from all over the world to help educate us and and you know really understand these topics better. So we've got a uh, expert from the states today uh, to talk us through it. Absolutely. This uh, episode is proudly supported by ETF Securities in celebration of the launch of their new ETF, Semi, which provides exposure to 30 leading microchip makers and designers from across the globe. And as you said, Ren, to help us understand it all, it's our absolute pleasure to welcome Patrick Penfield. Pat, welcome. Wow. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. So, Patrick is a professor of supply chain practice at Syracuse University Whitman School of Management and he's really going to help us understand the basics of semiconductors, the changing landscape that we're currently seeing, the crunch on the supply chain, and also a bit about the future of the industry. So, uh, I hope you're ready, Pat. There's a lot to cover. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pat, let's start with the very basics for people that maybe have heard of semiconductors in the news, but don't really know what, what they are. So what is a semiconductor and why do they matter? Yeah, so semiconductors are, are very small pieces of, of, of a material, either silicon or germanium, and they have integrated circuits that are embedded in, in the actual material itself. So um, they're, they're the brains behind most of the electronics that we use today. And so uh, they're, they're incredibly important uh, to everything that we use and consume, uh, you know, specifically from an electronic standpoint. So, uh, yeah, without the semiconductor uh, industry, we wouldn't have a lot of the, uh, the conveniences and a lot of the stuff that we use uh, today. So mm. extremely, again, they're, they're the brains behind most of the electronics that you're using today. So then what, what are some of the major companies in the semiconductor industry at the moment? And we'll get into them in a little bit. But yeah, if you can just give a high-level view. 
Yeah, I'm going to give you the, the top five of, of the semiconductor industry that are, are really pretty big and pretty uh, prominent these days. So uh, TSMC, they're they're uh, in, in the uh, the newspaper all the time these days. Um, so you've got Intel, you've got Samsung, um, you've got uh, Broadcom, you've got Qualcomm, you've got uh, SK Hynix. Uh, so um, those are probably the big players, uh, you know, that uh, that we have in, in today's industry from a semiconductor standpoint. And there's some other ones. There's a lot of smaller ones and you know, uh, but those are the, the the big ones that I think really have a, a big commander presence within the industry. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll touch on TSMC in a little bit because it is just such a fascinating story and so critical. But I guess if in terms of setting the scene, there's some of the major uh, companies that are out there. In terms of geographies, uh, where is the industry centered? Um, are there any particular geographies that are really important for the semiconductor industry? Yeah, about 70% of all the semiconductors come through Asia. So when I mean Asia, I'm talking about uh, Taiwan, Korea, Malaysia, and China. So those are, are the countries that most 70% of your semiconductors come from. So, yeah, very critical. Asia is a critical source uh, for, for semiconductors. And that's, you know, one of the issues that we, we have today where we've got this global supply chain crisis you know, trying to get stuff uh, from overseas. So this is part of our, our issue and problem because, uh, you know, why we're so we're so dependent on these semiconductors from overseas. So, Pat, the, the semiconductor industry has undergone quite significant disruption in the past decade with uh, TSMC's foundry model, which has really enabled the rise of companies like NVIDIA and AMD. Are you able to explain this disruption to us? What is the foundry model and, and what was the world of semiconductors sort of pre-TSMC and, and what it looks like today? Yeah, so um, prior to the TSMC model, uh, the foundry model, um, what, what happened was if you were a company and you were producing semiconductors, you would have to invest in, in a foundry. And a foundry is a, a, a manufacturing plant, basically makes the semiconductors. And then also you're on the hook for the design. So you had to do the design, you had to do the manufacturing. So it kind of limited the amount of competition that was actually in that space. And so when TSMC came on on the, on the scene and introduced this boundary model, it, it was a model that, that was used in other industries. So it's, it's called contract manufacturing. And so, uh, but interestingly, they're, they're, they used it uh, for semiconductors. And so this is kind of what happened. So TSMC said, basically, look, we will build your semiconductors come with us, come to us with your designs, and, and we promise we won't compete against you. Um, we won't steal your IP. What we'll do is, again, we'll produce what you want us to produce. So because of that model, it changed the whole industry. So in the past, you used to have to do everything. Now, you have, now you've got three types of, of actual um, companies within this industry. So you have what's called Fabless. So Fabless is your, uh, your Qualcomm's and your, and your Broadcom's. So all they do in, in your NVIDIA is they just produce basically a, a design. They say, okay, this is the chip that we want. And then you've got your foundries. And so your foundries are your TSMCs. So those are the big production facilities. Those are the manufacturing facilities that take the design and actually make it. And then the third type of, of company that you have in this industry is the integrated uh, circuit. Uh, they, they do the design. They do the production. So that would be your Intel's of the world. So that's what happened. So because of TSMC, it changed everything. And what I mean by changed everything, it really increased innovation within the semiconductor industry. So that's why um, we're seeing um, all these powerful electronics. This is why you're seeing this convergence of electronics that we've never seen before. So 
you know, look at your cell phone, right? Just look how small it is in comparison to what it was 10 years ago. It's all due to the semiconductor chips. Yeah, so TSMC, again, because of what they did and how they, they broke the, the business model, really changed our world. Yeah, and I think for people who are wondering why you know you can't build your own foundry, it's what, about 2 to $3 billion to build a foundry these days? Yeah, that, and that would be your, your basic one, right? So they go as high as up to $10 Jeez. billion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very capital intensive, yeah. So, uh, you know, this is the, the other thing is the expertise that's required in those foundries, right? So um, there's only a couple that can do real high-end stuff, and that's TSMC and Samsung. And so, you know, TSMC right now is the game changer. They're the ones that can produce, you know, the stuff that Apple and Google and all these tech companies want, you know, the really precise and really um, small type of uh, semiconductor chips. So TSMC changed the game, enabled uh, companies that had good designs but not $10 billion on their balance sheet to actually uh, build a foundry to, to get into the semiconductor industry. In terms of how that changed the industry, who, wh- what were some of the big winners and big losers from this dis- disruption? Yeah, I think the, the big winners were the tech companies, you know, your, your Apples, your Samsung. Uh, I think they really won on this because, again, of you know, being able to you know, do this convergence of technology, right, and be able to, to miniaturize and be able to introduce new types of, uh, of technology. Big loser, probably Intel. You know, so Intel was the dominant player at one time. They controlled everything, and now, you know, they don't, right? So, you know, you see some of these monopolies that have gone away, uh, like the Intels of the world. So, yeah, I, I would say probably the big winners are consumers, and, um, you know, the, uh, the tech companies. And I, I think they've really benefited from uh, this type of technology. Now, Pat, you're a professor of sl- supply chain practice, and there is no doubt that we're seeing a pretty big crunch at the moment in the supply chain of semiconductors. And, you know, some of the news coming out about the impact that that's having on some of the products that are being produced. You know, we've seen stories of car manufacturers leaving out like GPS functionality and all sorts of bits and pieces that you would otherwise expect in there. So let's start at the top. What's happening here in the supply chain of semiconductors? Yeah, so it's, it's all about supply and demand, right? And so the, the impetus behind the increased demand was COVID. And so uh, what happened is people, you know, couldn't go to work, right? So we're all stuck in our basements. And <laughs> <laughs> right? We didn't go to work. Uh, we couldn't go to school. Um, we had exercise at home, right? And so... Um, you know, we're still working and we still have disposable income. And so a lot of us are online buying stuff, right? Uh, buying electronics uh, and, you know, trying to update, you know, our cameras and our microphones and our computers and our phones and our exercise equipment. And so uh, what happened is, and, uh, you know, the semiconductor is ubiquitous, right? So it's used everywhere. Any type of electronics you have, you're going to have some type of semiconductor in there. And so that's what happened. The demand just skyrocketed, right? So, you know, the uh, the semiconductor industry, I don't think they were prepared um, to, to be able to meet that demand. So, you know, we talked about the cost of, of a factory. Um, so they're what I would term a, a, a lag industry. So until they get the demand, until they see demand, that's when they're going to build more capacity because it's expensive, right? So you just don't want to lay in, you know, $2 billion, $3 billion into a factory if you don't think you're going to have the sales. So that's kind of what they do. They back off a little bit. And then once they see that there's some demand, then they go ahead and make that investment. And it's, it's, it's called a, a lag in investment um, philosophy. So, uh, yeah, COVID was the major one. And, you know, again, it's caused a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of issues and a lot of problems just because everything kind of changed. And it, just the different demand patterns, too. 
And so, you know, we're all struggling with trying to, uh, again, deal with uh, this, this particular situation. Mm. Now, Bryce mentioned uh, one of the key effects of this supply crunch, which was the uh, auto industry. We've seen, uh, you know, car makers take features out of cars because they don't have enough uh, semiconductors. We've also seen some uh, production lines shut down for days at a time because they haven't been able to secure semiconductors. Um, but I imagine that the effects have been broader than just the automotive industry. What are, what are some of the results we're seeing as consumers or what are some of the, uh, you know, I guess, effects on businesses that we're seeing across the economy? Yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk about the automotive industry. So, you know, when COVID hit, um, they, uh, and again, this is in early 2021, um, you know, they cut back on their orders. So, you know, the, the automotive industry is a just-in-time type of a situation here in the U.S. And so that's uh, one of the things that happened was is that, you know, they don't like to carry inventory. So they cut all their orders uh, for semiconductor chips. And so the semiconductor chips at that time, 24, 25-week lead time item. And so, uh, unfortunately, here in the States, um, things just popped back up in, uh, like, May, June. And they saw all this demand, and, and so they were caught flat-footed because they cut all these orders, right? And they're like, well... We need these chips. Let's go get them. And then you have the electronics industry just really, you know, ramp up, you know, as far as their needs go. And the chip manufacturers actually make more money with the electronics than they do with the automotive semiconductor chips. So if you're a semiconductor chip company, you're like, well, you know, I got the the, the electronics and we make more money on them versus the automotive. So, you know, they don't have as much power as the electronics companies do in, in, in that particular part of the supply chain. So that's kind of what happened, right? So we saw this this change. And so unfortunately, yeah, uh, here in the U.S., it's really difficult to get a car. In fact, the U.S. automotive industry, actually the automotive industry as a whole, you know, they're going to have about $110 billion less in revenue uh, in 2022, which, excuse me, end of 2020. Yeah, ridiculous amount because of a lack of semiconductor chips. So as an investor, if you are making more money uh, on electronic semiconductors than automotive, I f- first part of the question is what, why is that the case? But would I then be looking for the companies that have more contracts with electronic supply or manufacturers rather than you know one who might have a contract for providing semiconductors for Toyota and Tesla, for example? Yeah. So, uh, so to answer your first part of your question, so um, the reason why they're cheaper is because they're, they're more basic. They're simple. So they're simple semiconductors, so they're not the high-end stuff that, like, an Apple would want. So, yeah, I think if I were an investor, I mean, again, just looking at it from a profitability standpoint, yeah, it probably would be wiser to invest in something that was more from a high-tech electronic standpoint than automotive. You know, and, and Tesla's, you know, outside the, you know, they're, you know, they're just unique as far as investment. <laughs> yeah. if you look, like, oh, why would I invest in those? Right? Tesla, I, you know, just it's hard to describe what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating story that's playing out, but that is a that is a whole other podcast episode, I think, uh, to try and unpack uh, that whole business. So I think uh, you know if we look at the supply crunch, you said it was uh, largely driven by COVID and how businesses responded to COVID. We're sort of eighteen months into COVID. Fingers crossed that it you know people are getting vaccinated and it's all going to uh, end sooner rather than later. Do you expect the supply crunch to uh, sort of dissipate uh, with the end of COVID or is this something that might be uh, around for longer? You know, I I think, you know, and I hate to be a pessimist, I I would say probably we're going to see this this issue till middle of 2023. 
So yeah, it's it's yeah, it's the this is a really difficult part. So here's here's an example. So you know we talked about COVID, and you know this is the dilemma with this uh, this uh, virus, right? It, it 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 goes in waves, and it goes in waves in different parts of the world. So you know Malaysia is a, a producer. I think they produce about seven percent of the semiconductors uh, for the world. Right now, you know they're they're on lockdown, right? Because they they don't have the vaccine, and so you know they basically the country's all on hold. And so it's not just Malaysia; it's Vietnam, it's China. You know, and, and so this is, you know, part of the issue, right? So I told you 70% of the semiconductors come from Asia. So when you have the start stops like we're seeing, it makes it really difficult to get that supply, right? So, you know, all the, you know, if you think about the supply chain as a chain, right, it's just all kinked up because there's just different issues, different problems, you know, throughout the world. So I think if, if again, if everything is, you know, if we don't see more variants of the virus, um, if we don't see these these different lockdowns, if things go back to normal sometime in 2022, I would say probably the middle of 2023 is when, you know, we'd start to see that balance. Part of it is because I think the uh, capacity for some of these foundries will be online, right? So they're, they're trying to add more capacity to their existing factories, open some new existing factories or open some new factories. And if that were to happen, then, then you would see, you know, ample amount of capacity to, to meet the demand. The demand is just going to keep going up with semiconductors. Yeah, there's no if, answer, buts about that. That is going to happen. Yeah, well, that's a good sort of segue into, I guess, the future because if you think about where semiconductors are going to be used and over the next few years the Internet of Things is only going to become more prevalent, you know, with connecting toasters and fridges and all sorts of bits and pieces to your mobile phone, they're all going to need semiconductors. So is that the future of the industry at the moment? How, how do you see sort of the next five years, 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. I just see huge, massive growth. I think the, the big thing is 5G, right? So, you know, 5G is coming on the scene. You need a lot of semiconductors for that technology. So, you know, in order to, again, um, to build the towers, to, you know, again, just to build the, the new phones, yeah, you're going to need more more sophisticated uh, types of uh, semiconductors. I think that's the, the the other issue is again who can produce those uh, really sophisticated um, semiconductor chips. Right now, uh, TSMC they're number one. They're they're the 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 ones that can produce the most sophisticated chips. You know, right behind them is Samsung, but they're not there. TSMC is still number one as far as the uh, their capabilities. Uh, as far as producing those types of chips, the real sophisticated ones. And do you see do you see much disruption coming into these companies, or or is it sort of a, safe to assume that they are just going to be the leaders for, you know, the next decade? Yeah, I, I would say at least for the next five years. I, I don't see. I, I think again, TSMC, Samsung, right behind them, nipping at their heels. I think you're going to see it's going to be those those two companies that are going to have the capabilities to produce the real sophisticated chips. Intel maybe, uh, but Intel's behind, you know, and so, and that's not a surprise. I mean, Asia usually leads the world from a technology standpoint, um, but I think Intel, you know, uh, you know, until they they make the investments and and they really kind of focus on on some of the technology, um, they might have a chance to catch up. But yeah, the gap is starting to widen, you know, with with these companies. So, Pat, if we if we say that the number one, uh, I guess, thing about the future of the semiconductor industry is that all of these new devices, 5G, more silicon in cars, like all of these things are going to drive increasing levels of demand for the foreseeable future. 
I think probably the second big thing is around the geopolitics of the industry because it feels like that is a really big talking point at the moment and something that as potential investors, we need to get our head across. You know, from the US, uh, they're trying to keep Intel afloat. The Trump administration was pushing TSMC to open a foundry in Arizona. At the same time, China is looking to build a domestic semiconductor industry. It feels like there's a lot of geopolitics at play here. So a couple of questions. First of all, I guess, why why are semiconductors so important for national security? And then secondly, how do you expect you know the supply chains to change or how do you expect the industry to develop with this, I guess, national security lens put over the top of it? Yeah, I think from a national security standpoint, it's because of weapons, right? So, you know, again, um, a lot of the the weapons that we use today are, again, using a lot of electronics, using a lot of semiconductors, right? So uh, if you don't have that supply and 70% comes from Asia, then you're at a big disadvantage, especially if there's any friction or any issues or problems that are, that are happening between countries, specifically China and, and the United States. So you could see where that could be a big disadvantage if uh, things started to heat up. And I think the, the big concern would be China and Taiwan, right? So, you know, and, and there's always, you know, um, there are always issues and problems, and that's been ongoing, right? But for President Z, um, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, for him, if for China to eventually take over Taiwan, that could happen in the next 10 years, and I hate to say that. Um, but I, I think a lot of people are looking at that and very concerned about that particular situation especially if you're in the semiconductor industry. Because um, if China were to, to take over Taiwan, and again, that's a big F, uh, you know, that, then you're talking about almost a whole industry that would be um, taken over by China, right, especially TSMC. And so that could give them a significant opportunity, you know, to develop even more uh, weapons. So, I, yeah, I, I, it's definitely a national security issue, Absolutely. Yeah. So does then a company like Intel, which is American, um, do they, do they become then like a really important national, a company for national security reasons? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think that would be, um, in, in the United States' best interest is to have somebody that could produce, you know, have foundries, have the uh, design, have that uh, capability here in the United States. Again, for security purposes, you know, you could see where that would be uh, very beneficial. And, and that's and, and I'm a globalist, so I believe in global trade. And I think global trade, if you look through history, that's always been the best way to go when you enact tariffs, when you have these these um, weird trade situations. It's just not very good for the world at all. You know, the world thrives when there's no tariffs and, and we have, you know, just, you know, natural trade situations that are going on. Um, and that's what I would prefer to see. And I'm hopeful that maybe that will happen in the foreseeable future. Mm. Well, uh, as Australians with a population of 20 million and uh, a very resource-dependent uh, economy, we are also big fans of global trade and, you know, need to see that to continue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, it's the best thing for the world. Well, Pat, um, it's been great chatting with you. We do thank you for your time. You know, there's no doubt that you've highlighted the importance of this industry with what is going on in, uh, I guess, how everything is now so interconnected with 5G coming online. It's such an important industry and it's great that now we have the opportunity to invest in some of these super important companies. So thank you for sharing your expertise today. Very much appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. It was, it was great talking to you. And if I can help you in the future, let me know. Absolutely. Thanks, Pat.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Ren, as we said at the top of this episode, ETF Securities have recently released a new ETF tracking the global semiconductor industry. And we've just heard from Pat about the huge opportunity that this presents. The ETF is called ETF Securities Semiconductor ETF. The ASX ticker is SEMI, S-E-M-I. Launched in early September, the ETF invests in the largest and most significant semiconductor companies around the world and achieved the highest first day trading value of any passive ETF this year, 2021, on the ASX. So, mate, pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty unbelievable. And I've got to say, I just love the ETF uh, industry's use of ASX ticker codes. Another another good one here with SEMI. Um, that alone, it, that gets me excited about this ETF. <laughs> and we are joined by the head of distribution at ETF Securities, Kanish Chug. Kanish, welcome. Thanks for having me. So Kanish is here to just help us unpack the ETF in a little bit more detail. So let's start at the top, Kanish. Why create a semiconductor ETF? The reason for creating an ETF that focuses on on this you know mega trend of semiconductors is is twofold. One, we're the first to the market in in Australia to give investors the ability to access this particular theme or subsector in a concentrated way. Um, prior to this, you would have to either, you know, we have a, a tech ETF that gives you exposure to the global tech sector. Now that ETF gives exposure to some of these semiconductor names. You can access semiconductor. Named through you know broad markets such as the Nasdaq 100 or the S&P 500, etc., or you can go direct as well. It's a bit harder, um, you know, to try and access say Taiwan Semiconductors or some of those sort of um, you know ASML, for example, which is, is a Dutch-based lithography company. Mm. So for us as, a, as an ETF provider, you know, we want to bring unique solutions to market, and we thought there's a gap here. We saw demand, and semiconductors is an interesting space when you think about technology as a sector. It's broken into software, hardware, and then semiconductors. And the best way I try to explain it is, you know, semiconductors are the engine that drives the iPad. It's, it's the future of everything that we use and currently from a technology basis. You know, and that's where the, the big part is, is there's a long-term growth. It's a mature industry, but it's an industry that's really only grown significantly in the past 10, 5, 10, 15 years because of technological advancements. And it's dominated by some really big players. So there's sort of, it's only a few players that are really dominating this space. 
Yeah, Kanish, I love that. You know, we often speak about uh, investing in picks and shovels here at Equity Mates, and uh, the semiconductor industry is the ultimate picks and shovels for the technology industry. Doesn't matter who's going to win the race to, you know, general AI or electric cars or self driving vehicles or any of these other technological trends. Whoever wins, they're going to be reliant on the semiconductor industry to get there. So it is a fascinating space. And coming off that conversation with Patrick, it is just such an interesting uh, theme that's playing out at the moment. I guess there's a number of different ways you could choose to invest in the sector. You know, you could try and find an active manager. You could try and pick individual stocks yourself, uh, or you can go down the passive ETF route, uh, which you guys have created here. Why do you think the passive uh, thematic ETF is the right way to approach this theme? So it's the right way to approach this theme for an investor that wants the exposure to the semiconductor industry. You know, if you want a broad exposure, well, then there are other options for you from an ETF perspective or a fund perspective. A lot of Australian investors also, if they just look at the Australian market, they're not going to get exposure to the semiconductor industry. There are just limited, if not zero names that are pure plays in the Australian market. So if you want semiconductor exposure, you have to go outside of Australia. And then to do that, you're either buying direct shares, you know, in the US, in Europe, it's very hard to buy some shares in, in, say, Taiwan or Korea, which this ETF has exposure to. From an active side, if you're wanting exposure to the semiconductor industry, it's dominated by a few names, as I mentioned, companies like Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, TSMC, et cetera. So if you want that exposure, why are you going to pay sort of one and a half, one percent plus for that? And I actually don't even know if there's an active manager that gives you just a pure play on this. Normally, it's you know as a, a growth or an innovative innovation fund. So you know we really wanted to offer investors. Well, if they just want this exposure, why don't we just give it to them in a very simple form? It's thirty stocks within the portfolio. It's market cap weighted, which again is a bit new for us from a thematic perspective. We normally have a lot of our thematic ETFs are equally weighted. And, and the reason we did a, a market cap weighted approach to this, or we, we chose to do that is the industry is dominated by bigger names. And it's, you know, some of these names have monopolies within their spaces, you know, companies like ASML. And so it's basically that the view was to, to look at it from that perspective and having that market cap approach meant that you got exposure to those bigger names, but also the tail as well. I think the other important thing to stress here is, you know, the industry is constantly being disrupted and, you know, we've just come off a conversation talking about TSMC and the disruption that they brought to the industry and all of these companies that were able to be created off the back of that, the NVIDIAs and the AMDs of the world. And now we're seeing another wave of disruption where a lot of the big tech names are, uh, you know, trying to design their own circuits and semiconductors and stuff like that. Like the industry is changing so much and, the great thing about this ATF you've you've created is you're not trying to pick a winner. You're not, you know, if it's outside your circle of competence and you're not sure like what the next wave of disruption in the industry is going to be, this gives you an opportunity to just back the overall theme and the overall growth in the industry rather than getting deep on two nanometer circuit boards and trying to understand, you know, everything that's going on there. And, and, and the other thing that I guess the point there is, we often talk about you, it's really hard to pick a winner or a loser. Um, and sometimes you're going to back a loser if you go the single stock path. So if you then do your research, find the stock, it potentially there's a lot of risk involved in that. So for us, yeah, it's, it's backing the theme. We know the thematic or the mega trend of semiconductors, as you said, and as we've talked about at the start and, and sort of throughout, 
this episode, it's not going to go away. It's the oil, the petrol of the future, whatever you want to call it. You know, there's an interesting stat, I think, that says that by 2030, close to 50% of cars will, or 50 cars will have 50% electronics within them. And I think it's currently sitting at 25, 27% at the moment. And that's semiconductor chips. You know, as we move towards electric vehicles, which we know is the case in, you know, with battery technology, that's going to be relying upon semiconductor chips. So this is sort of what's going to drive the picks and shovels of, of, of the future. And it's a great way to sort of play it. And for a lot of investors at the moment, when they're building portfolios, they're looking at sub-industries, they're looking at thematics, they want to get that focus, um, whether it's to complement a broad market, whether it's to complement a single stock portfolio that they may have, um, this just gives them the ability to go overweight. So they may already have, say, our tech ETF, which, as I said, has about, I think it's about eight or nine names as when we record this overlap to the semiconductor ETF, but not in the same weights. But what you'll find there is you can then go even further overweight by looking at just the semi ETF if you want to look at semiconductors, for example. So is the difference between this and potentially some other options in the semiconductor ETF space that may be available overseas? I think the big difference here is, one, it's listed you know, on the ASX. So for an investor perspective, it's a lot easier to access. Um, you're buying an Australian investment vehicle to access this space. It is we physically replicate the index and that index holds 30 stocks. So we hold underlying within that all these 30 names in the weights that the index puts out. Now, compared to some of the other semiconductor ETFs, and you know, this is a mature industry. There have been semiconductor ETFs listed in the US for about, I think, 15, 20 years. Um, but a lot of them are dominated and focused just on the US market. This is a global view. So we are looking at the developed market, so the US, Europe, Japan, plus Korea and plus Taiwan. So where instead of buying, say, the ADRs of some of these, you know, Asian or European companies, we're actually buying the locally domiciled and listed companies themselves. So we're holding that those stocks, so much more liquid stocks as well um, from a liquidity basis. Um, and from our side, it's a much more pure play for, from that perspective. It's a fascinating uh, space and it's great that you've you know, created this product for Australian investors, accessible on an Australian exchange, denominated in Australian dollars. It's, um, it is a great option for people to consider. If people want to find out more about the ETF, its top holdings, uh, where should they go to find out? Best place to go is our website, so etfsecurities.com.au. Up the top there, there's a products tab. If you click that, you actually get a full range of all of our funds. Um, you know, we, we've got close to 20 funds covering a broad range of, of different exposures and, and the semiconductor ETF semi is one of those funds and you'll be able to click on that, view the product disclosure statement, the fact sheet, a lot of other collateral and, you know, we've got investment cases, product, you know, information on there as well. Nice, Kanish. Well, you love to see it. We always love seeing new ETFs come to market that provide access to some, you know, investment opportunities that are otherwise a bit out of touch for Australians or to, um, Ren's point and your point. If you don't want to back in a winner or, um, miss the losers, then this provides a great opportunity to back the thematic of, uh, semiconductors over the, the next few years or decades. So appreciate you coming on to all of those listening. Check it out. Uh, ETF securities. Uh, website and the ASX ticker is SEMI. So uh, we will be back with a few more episodes with ETF Securities over the coming weeks. So stay tuned. Thanks, Kanish. Cheers. Thanks, guys. 
EquityMates Investing Podcast is a product of EquityMates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, EquityMates Media and the hosts of EquityMates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.